let's, let, let's look at what Paul was in the moment. Paul was saying his whole life had been revolutionized. In fact, just before we do that, we just recapture a little bit more of what Kevin was saying last time. Paul was a Jew of the Jews. Right? He was a believer that the Jews had been singled out by God to carry a special message to the people. And that singling out had given them a sign of circumcision. It had given them special dietary laws. And it had given the, the temple in the heart of the people. It had given them the, 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 the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant and in the Holy of Holies. That God's sanctuary was with these people. And yet God got a hold of through Christ, of Paul, and he rethought everything. He said that the fast, uh, the, the unbelievable mystery of the Christian life is that all of us who are not Jews are welcomed in to the inheritance of the people of God, that we get to be the, the people of God, that we carry the presence and the power and the, and the unbelievable uh, presence of God into the world itself. That, that, that that's the, the task that we're given. And Paul rethought everything about his Christian life. He said circumcision, that, that, was, that was a holding game until the, the real reality came. That the, the, the dietary laws, they didn't matter nearly as much as they appeared to. What mattered was your heart. In the midst of that reality, he recaptures what he was saying. For, for this reason, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, his circumstances were not easy for the sake of the Gentiles. That, that, that the Gentiles, that those that did not, were not originally chosen, were part of this. And then he has this incredible prayer. I'll read it from my car here so I don't have to turn my back on you. For this reason, I, Paul, prisoner of Jesus Christ, and for the sake of the Gentiles, then he recaptures that line in verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that, you may, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. And now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. And ever. Amen. So be it. Paul was gripped with a reality that had completely transformed his world. A reality that the love of Christ changes everything. It gives us an immense access to the presence and power and to the holiness of God. That it gives us our identity as people who are chosen by God himself. It gives us the heart of God to dwell in our hearts. If, if one really gets this, 
then, then how could one ever be insecure again? How could you ever doubt yourself? If you know the love of God, you know it's not that you're qualified. It's that God loves you. You'll, you'll never really be alone. You may feel existentially alone. There may be times where, where, where you're blue and down, but, but under it, the core of it is that God is with you and God loves you and God cares with you. And that's a, a truth you need to build up even in the good times. Kevin has been, I, I think, really challenging us recently with respect to the idea that he wants more. Right? He wants more of what we've already begun to taste. And, and that's a scriptural thought. It's not a greedy thought. It's a give us an overwhelming sense of this. Look at this, this benediction that you would know the love that surpasses to him who was able to do immeasurably more than we were ever da dare to ask or imagine. God, break through to us. Let us really know that you love us and that you care for us. When you... We sang happy birthday. It's a moment that can quickly pass. But in this moment when we pray, do we really pray this for others? Do we really pray it for the church? That's the question we're going to ask. So let's focus on that center part, that sort of the content of the prayer itself for just a moment, to just look at what Paul prays for here and what he might have prayed for. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power to grasp with all the Lord's people to grasp how high, wide and high and long and deep and is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses love. Think of how many other things he might have prayed for. Right? Why, why is this so central? You know, for those of us who are, are, are struggling, I mean, the church really needs more funds. Right? So, so what we really want to pray for is the ultimate fundraiser. That you would know the power and you'd be able to convince people to give you money and be able to make money. Because that would make the world a better place. Right? Doesn't pray for wealth. Doesn't pray for business acumen. Right? Doesn't pray for scientific knowledge. Right? Doesn't pray that, you know, I, I'm an engineering professor. Doesn't pray that one would understand the laws of physics and materials so that you would build buildings that would never collapse and bridges that would always work. Right? Uh, that pipes would never fail. Right? That's not the heart of what he's praying for. He doesn't even pray for those Christian things that he might have prayed for. That we would understand all doctrine and that we would understand all laws and that we would be able to memorize both the Old and the New Testament and we could say the Psalms by heart at any point from any point in the original languages. Right? I mean, if you want to pray something extravagant, yeah, pray for, pray for that. Doesn't pray for that we would understand all theology, right? That, that we'd be able to argue, that we would be philosophical, theological geniuses, that we could hold any argument. Doesn't even pray that we would be evangelists per se, or that we would be the ultimate apologetics people, that, that we could argue anyone into the faith. Right? All of those things could be important. Right? All of those things could matter. Certain extent. But the core of them, the thing that really matters, is not those things. It's the love of God. Right? And, and if you realize that I've just sort of transitioned from Ephesians 3 into 1 Corinthians 13, you're right. Right? If, if I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal and have all the powers and can speak all languages, but have not love, I am nothing. Right? That, that love is the core reality that changes everything. 
Love is, 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 is at the foundation of our Christian life. If we obey for any other reason than love, then, then, then there's a degree of deficiency in that. The reason to obey God is not because he's going to punish us. The reason that you do things that are special for people that you love is not because you have to and not because you'll be rewarded. Right? The reason to do it is because they really matter and that you want to do something that is just a reflection of that value that they have to you. Yeah, God didn't have to do the things he did. There was no moral imperative that sent him to the cross. It was his love that sent him to the cross. It was his love that kept him in the cross when he was there. It was his love that didn't have him, uh, as he was nudged to do, call down legions of angels and annihilate the, the, the ones that are there that would have been so tempting for us to do. You know, the, the, the sense of vengeance and justice. He prays for love, that we would understand, that we would know, and that we would revel in that love, that it would go to the core of our being. Yeah, again, this, you know, that, that, that surpasses knowledge. There's the people I've known that, that study hard in order to impress others. There's people that work really hard at business in order to become wealthy. There are people that do all sorts of stuff for their own benefit. But once in a while, you're touched by someone who you know is there because they really matter. What they're doing really matters to them, that they love what they're doing. They, they, they couldn't do it for any other reason. We are given lots of examples of love in our lives, hopefully. Uh, love of parents for child or child for parents. Love of uh, even older people for, for, their, uh, for their own parents. Uh, love of uh, romantic love can be an incredibly powerful thing. Uh, one of the tremendous highlights of our life yesterday was as Joy was celebrating her birthday. Uh, was that she got a text uh, with a video from our three-year-old daughter, granddaughter, and she sang happy birthday to Joy. And it was absolutely adorable. Joy will show you the picture uh, if you want to see it afterwards on her phone. It's a little bit dark, but she would be delighted to do that. And Addie thought the thing that really mattered was that she was wearing a really nice dress. And Tim said, no, I think, what, Tim, his father, said, I think what really mattered is that you sang happy birthday to her. And then he says, you're nuts. It was the dress. <laughs> yeah. You, you sort of get the story a little bit right and a little bit wrong. It, love is transformative. When you, when you, you know, there's just no question in our mind if, if, if our grandchildren were really sick. And by us giving up our lives, uh, we could save them. It wouldn't be a hesitation. The love that would sacrifice, I, I, I'm not saying that to break, I'm saying that's just a little hint of the love of God. The love of God that, that is sent his son uh, to live amongst us, to, to open the way to, 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 to a, a reality with God that, that was unbelievable, that was, was, was insurmountable in any other way. If you, has that gripped you? They gripped your prayers? Can you think of anything you could pray for your children, your grandchildren, your spouses, or your, your colleagues, your workmates, your, your, uh, your, your neighbors, your, the people that you share you know, a meal with or the go train with? 
Can you think of any other prayer that would be more transformative, more central, so more powerful, more amazing, more sacrificial than this prayer? Right? The, 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 this prayer, if, if you lack words, then just simply start to insert names in there. Oh, Lord, that my granddaughter Addie would, would get this. That her life would be rooted and grounded in the reality that God loves her. And then she would know that she could never get outside the parameters, the dimensions of that love. You know, that, that the sense of infinite space. Right? That, that, that sense that you cannot go and, and that she would know that. And that's not to say the world is an easy place. I think those of us who are moderns so quickly translate that if this must be true, then the world is going to be straightforward and I sort of live a life, as I've sort of joked before, of a beer commercial, right? Uh, that everything is cool and that everything is comfortable. Paul is a prisoner as he writes this. And he gets it. He gets it in prison. He sang songs of praise and, and of triumph in prison. And sometimes the door is just miraculously opened and, and they walk free. And they save the jailers. There is tremendous evil in the world. There is tremendous hardship in the world. There's tremendous challenges in the world. But the God who wrote this, who, whose extravagant loves for, for, for those who knows the cross. He knows our suffering. He can be there and present even in times of trouble. And even in those times we can experience his love. The key question for us is, 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 is that really the core of our being? Do you believe it when it says this surpasses knowledge? I, I don't know, I, my life is knowledge. Uh, you know, I, I work at the university, I, 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 I study lots of different things, I, I you know, have a degree of reputation in certain areas for what I know, but, but that doesn't matter compared to this. I think about, you know, I'm getting close to retirement, think about things you want to study. And there's all sorts of things I want to study. I'm really fascinated by, you know, by quantum electrodynamics, by, by all sorts of weird stuff. But, but, I mean, who cares compared to this? If my, 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 my fascination with physics and mathematics is not overwhelmed by, by, by this greater reality that this is only makes sense to the extent that it unfolds something of the amazing world that God made. And the world is made in such a way that, that you are not forced in any way to accept this reality. You are offered this reality. We are going to come to the table now. We're going to celebrate communion. I talked about focus and attention. Have you ever thought about the attention that's being focused on this feast? The Son of God is there, and he's inaugurating a new covenant, a new relationship with us, and he's doing it through the breaking of bread and the pouring of wine. And in this unbelievable sacrifice, we are offered, invited to participate, to open ourselves up to a reality that we're in a new relationship with God, a relationship of God that's built on sacrificial love. That's built on this unity of bread that represents the sustaining of the body and the sustaining of the spirit. That the wine, have you thought about the, the unbelievable image that we have in, 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 the, in, the, in the liquid and, and the cup? 
We have the solid and we have the liquid. We have the two natures that are coming together. We have the human, the divine, the receptacle and, and what fills it. That our lives, that our hearts would be filled by God himself by coming here. That we would be open to this new covenant. That we would receive in ourselves a promise of a new relationship. That the entire universe was focusing on this moment with expectations that the, the motions of the stars, I, I almost imagine, stopped and everything was a hush. The whole universe was focused on this one event and this one unfolding that was taking place that revealed under the most stringent possible tested conditions that the love of God is even more powerful than the power or the holiness of God. That the love of God trumps us. That the scandal of the gospel, the scandal of the gospel, that God justifies the ungodly, the unrighteous. We come because we're invited. Gentile and Jew, old and young, men and women, slave and free. All of us come to the table to receive the first taste of the love of God. Let's enjoy this together. Have a seat. Powerful songs, a powerful celebration. We are challenging ourselves, challenging us as a church to, to take this prayer in Ephesians seriously, to let it go to the core of our being, the core of our identity, the core of what gives us a name, that God is love and he loves us with the most extravagant, the most remarkable, the most unearned, undeserved love that we could possibly imagine. You'd think if you got that truth, you'd never lose sight of it. That you'd never be in danger. But, but there's, there's a follow-up text or chapter in, in the Ephesians uh, church life that is, is quite haunting. If you know the book of Revelation, you'll know that the book of Revelation starts with a, with a revelation of the power and the glory of Christ. And then it goes into seven individual messages to individual churches. And those churches have significance to us because we fall in the same pattern so often. And the first church that's written about is the church of Ephesians. And I very much encourage you to look back at Ephesians chapter 2 and test what I'm about to, about to say to you. But Ephesians church, uh, as, as John through the message of Christ gives them the revelation, is given many, many positive things. That, that, that they, they got their doctrine very well organized. That they hate the right people. That, they, that, that, they, that they're right in the right lineup. And yet it's a very dark message to them in a certain sense. A real wake-up call. Because they've lost their first love. They've taken somehow a commitment to truth and it's triumphed over their heart for a generosity of spirit, for a power of devotion, for a willingness to sacrifice that leaves their church in doubt. Paul, Christ says, wake up, find your first love again. The first love triumphs over all other considerations. That is the core. If, you're, if, you're, if your commitment to doctrine, if your commitment to clarity, if your commitment to rightness trumps over your first love, then, then you can no longer propagate what it is to be a church. You're in danger. 
We're invited this morning. None of you are going to have your arms twisted as you leave. None of you are going to be uh, corralled by God and given some sort of overwhelming power that you have to get the love of God. None of us are, are going to be so, for lack of a better term, seduced by how good life is that you, you, you have no ability to accept, to accept the love of God. God. God's reality is offered to us is neither a seduction nor a force for arrangement. It's an offer. It's an offer that comes to us in the most gentle and possible ways of opening ourselves up to it and praying that others would know that, that we would be the conduits of that. Let's read again, almost in closing, this, this amazing prayer. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, for this reason I kneel before the Father in worship and adoration, from whom every family in heaven, the Jews and the Gentiles, together in one family, and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of the glorious riches he will strengthen you with a power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Right? That, that, that unbelievable collaboration that takes place, that we make room and say, God, enter and fill our hearts that you would dwell with us, that you would be in relationship with us, intimacy. And I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I'm going to leave that up there for just a moment for us to reflect upon that. Think about this church. And I pray that you elders would get this. Right? That it would be the overwhelming reality of the way you govern and pray for the church. That the love of God and, and, and a belief in its unbelievable vastness, its power, its majesty, its, its, its draw to worship would, would overwhelm you. And we are blessed because I think to a large extent that happens. But there's more. We, we want that to happen for the staff. We have awesome staff. But if there's one reality that would trump the hecticness of their knife, the irritations of little things that come to annoy them, all the interruptions, all the, the time that's not their time, all the, all, all the sacrifice, all the exhaustion, all the complaints, right? That, that all of those things would be absolutely relativized by a knowledge that they're doing that by the power and in the grace of the love of God. Those that are working as volunteers to make our entrance even more impressive and even more welcoming, that they would do it because of the love of God, that those in the youth church downstairs would do everything that they do of the love of God, that we as parents and as grandparents and as, as, as children of, of parents, that we would get this, right? That it would be the reality that overwhelms our reality, that, 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 that the love of God would flow through us in good times and in bad times. Why did Paul say that the gospel was advanced because he was in prison. Right? Because being in prison and still a servant was a complete confirmation that he wasn't doing this to get rich. 
He wasn't doing this for some ulterior motive. He wasn't doing this because of rewards and applauses. Right? He was doing it because he loved God. Plato, at, at one point in, in, in history, said that there is no way that a good person can really be judged as a good person if they're rewarded for being good. Right? The ultimate test of goodness would be that you do have the good person and that person would be rejected and they would be scorned and they would be persecuted and ultimately they would die a terrible death and still be a good person. Right? The only, you know, the breathtaking reality is he just reconfigured Isaiah 53 and the New Testament story. Right? That the love of God was tested to the utmost degree and found to be worthy and found to be trustworthy. Our lives are not going to be easy when we love. Love hurts. Right? Love goes deep, but what else matters? You know, this is not a you know, romantic, superficial, simple world. Right? Love is not just some sort of you know, passing thought. It's not just some sort of you know, tidy little you know, thoughtful moment. What is love? Love is not fundamentally romantic. I'll go back to one of the things that Rod Wilson, one of the great founders of this church, one of the great influences of the church, said that the definition of love is, love is the willingness to sacrifice for the welfare and good of another. It's a marvelous definition. It's the willingness to sacrifice, to give of yourselves to, to, uh, for the good of another. That's the love of God. We're called to a great and a high calling, scary calling. Last week, Kevin challenged us, are we all in? Does that terrify you? It terrifies me. Yeah, that, 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 that Paul was all in. And, and yet, it doesn't terrify me. Yeah, if, if, if in the moment of clarity, you're overwhelmed and say, what else matters? If this doesn't matter, then, then nothing matters, right? The world is just some random action, right? It's just a bunch of random thoughts, and you know, grab what you can when you can, right? The, the lesson of life is know when to fold them, when, know when to hold them, when, know when to walk away, right? That's not the lesson of life. The lesson of life is to bask and to revel and to, uh, to be gripped by the love of God, in every sunset, in every sunrise, in every wonderful meal, every communion, in every song that we sing, in every birthday wish from a granddaughter. That's what we're called to do. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, so be it. This is the message that's echoed through more than 2,000 years of human history. It's worked in China where Joy's parents were missionaries. It's worked in Mandarin and Cantonese. It's worked with aboriginals in Australia. It's worked in the Philippines. It's worked in Africa. It's worked in South America. It's worked through the Middle Ages. It's worked through... Cities that are being inundated by the flood and by the plague. But this message is stronger than circumstance because it's underwritten by eternal reality that we get to be the people of God. 
We get to celebrate that love of God, and we get to choose, not because we're forced, not because we're seduced, but because we're invited to say, God, fill me. I want more of this. I want more of this for me. I want more of it for my family. I want more of it for my church. I want more of it for my grandchildren. I want more of it for the elders. I want more of it for the staff. I want more of it for Durham. I want more of it for Ajax. I want more of it for U of T. More than we can imagine. Imagine a world that begins to get this. It's a world that's worth saving. It's a world that's worth living because of the power of God. Let's close by singing to the glory of God again.